In uh, his lesson last week uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, Steve was focusing on the transformation that we all as Christians undergo as we go from being children of this world to becoming children of God, the transformation as we leave a life lived in the flesh to a new life lived in the spirit and the idea of putting off the old life, putting on the new life. You might remember Steve's jacket illustration. And so there was a series of contrasts there between that old life and the new way of life. And some concrete day-to-day examples of how this change changes the way that we live our life. And as Paul has been telling us right through this letter to the Ephesians, all of these changes are a consequence of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Because of what Jesus has achieved through his death, burial and resurrection and all of the blessings given to us through that, this new life is compelled in each of us. And also this new life is made possible in each of us because of what has been done in Jesus. And today's passage covers over similar sort of ground Um, continuing on from that theme. Um, But I want to frame it today under this idea of taking life seriously. Because I think that summarises what Paul's trying to drive home to us in these verses, the kind of life that Paul is calling us to in Christ, taking that life seriously as a response to what has been done for us in Christ. And I think this idea sort of also confronts something that's um, a common issue that we see in our society at large today and also within the church. I think there's, there's a bit of an undercurrent in our society these days that's increasingly prominent. It sort of encourages a sort of a cynicism about the world, discourages us from taking things too seriously. And I think that's in part due to our Australian character, you know, the stereotypical Australian that, you know, doesn't take, think, take things pretty easy, you know, she'll be right, mate. Um, and, you know, particularly men, Australian men, it seems, you know, uh, we find it hard to take some things too seriously and we often deflect serious issues with just jokes or these sort of things, you know. Even, you know, when we have affection for one another, we, we express that not through genuine words, but we express it through having a go at each other, making fun of each other, criticising each other, rather than being honest and sincere with one another. So I think there's partly that sort of cultural element to it. But also, I think there's a part of it in the way that our society and the way it's going encourages us to try, it's always trying to undermine and deconstruct every kind of tradition, every kind of norm, every institution that we've inherited. It wants to question it and, and undermine it. And so in many ways there's not too many things for us to take seriously anymore in, you know, in, a, in a broader society, the way it sees things. And so because there's not much to take seriously, well, we don't bother to, we're reluctant to make commitments to things, whether that be making commitments to our family, whether that's commitment to um, developing a career, whether it's making a commitment even to the church. 
We're just reluctant to take these things seriously and have our lives defined by these things um, outside of ourselves uh, because we just don't respect them or take them seriously. And even we're often reluctant to take responsibility for our own actions as well. You know, we'd often rather blame external factors for things rather than our own individual responsibility. You know, we might try and point the finger at things like other people who have failed or other institutions and how they've failed. You know, it's, it's the church's fault, it's the government's fault. They need to do something rather than thinking about our own behaviour and our own responsibility and taking those things seriously. You know... We, we can we can be so conflicted in these things. You know, anyone anyone, for example, who might you know, it's easy to talk about wanting world peace, but if we don't live a life of peace, if we we can't get on with our own family, with our own neighbours, um, we're not, we're not taking things seriously. We're not a serious person if we expect others to take responsibility for these things, but not ourselves. And I think that's an increasingly common attitude in our world today. But as Christians, we have a higher calling and that demands that we take ourselves seriously and our lives seriously because God takes it seriously. So let's begin in our passage in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verses 1 and 2. Paul begins, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So here Paul puts front and centre what is to be both our example and our motivation. He says, we emulate God because of what has been done for us. In Christ, Because of God's forgiveness, we live a life of forgiveness. Because of God's love, we live a life of love. And also because we're dearly loved children, we're God's children. And so we should be like our Father who has shown us this way. He sets the standard. It's been set by Jesus' own example of his life of sacrificial love even to the point of death. That's how he has loved us. So we should also love in the same way. Which gives us a tremendous responsibility to how we then need to treat each other, loving them as Jesus has loved us. Which, if we're going to do that, it means that we have to take seriously other people's needs. We can't just dismiss other people. We can't just ignore our responsibility to them. We can't just assume that everything will sort itself out and be okay. We can't just assume that someone else will take care of it. We have a responsibility, each one of us, to take these things seriously. We can't love one another as God has loved us if we don't treat each other and take each other and their needs seriously. So Paul says we need to live this life that's characterised by love, that's characterised by these deliberate choices that we make um, in other people's interest. Just like God, just like Jesus has made 
deliberate choices in our interest to act and, and, and love us in so many different ways. We need to make these deliberate choices to love one another as well. We need to take it seriously. But, of course, Paul says here we're assured that this kind of life, this life of love that he's talking about, God will receive as a fragrant offering, a pleasing aroma that goes up to God. This is the kind of thing that God uh, takes joy from. Seeing us living these lives of love, it's like a, a, a breath of fresh air. It's like the, the, the smell of fresh coffee first thing in the morning. It's that pleasing aroma to God when we live this way. That's what gives God joy. And it gives God joy because that's the purpose of everything that he has been doing, everything that has been done in Christ, everything that Paul has been talking about in this letter to the Ephesians is all so that we can live these lives that are a pleasing aroma to God, that's this fragrant offering, this fragrant sacrifice to to God. That's why he takes so much joy in it because that's what it's all been about. That's our example, that's our motivation for our lives. That's the the image, the vision that Paul puts before us for us to live up to as we continue on uh, in the rest of the text. So in the rest of this section that we're going to go through this morning, Paul's going to show us some more ways that we need to take this life seriously and, and why it's so important for us to take these things seriously. So let's continue in verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these things are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure No immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person's an idolater, none of them has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So the first thing Paul focuses on here is impurity. We're to to get rid of impurity. And he says this, this impurity, it can take many different forms. It could be sexual impurity, but he also talks about things like greed um, or impure speech, things like obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, he says. Those are things that we need to um, distance ourselves from. But notice how seriously he says here we need to take this, incredibly seriously. There's not even to be a hint of it among us, not a hint. That's how far we need to distance ourselves from these things. So even even being free from them isn't enough. We need to be known to be free from these impurities. It's part of our reputation, part of the witness that we give to the world, that we're known to be free of these things. But why, we might wonder, well, why does Paul think we need to take these things so seriously? Well, he says because they're improper for God's holy people. 
Once again, because of everything that has been done for us in Christ, how we've been chosen to be his people. We've been adopted as his children. We've been made alive in Christ. We're being put together as a holy temple to the Lord. Because of all that, we are God's pure and holy people. So anything less than that is out of place. If we truly understand all these things that God has done for us in Christ that we've been seeing in Ephesians, if we truly understand that, we'll, we'll recognise just how incompatible any kind of impurity is in our lives. It just can't be. If that's who we truly are in Christ, we'll treat that kind of purity as seriously as God does. And to further underline this point, Paul talks about this as a form of idolatry. Of course, you know, an, an idolater is the complete opposite of, of God's people. Um, doing these things as a form of idolatry. If we think about what these kind of things have in common that he's talking about, they're all about giving in to our desires and, and looking for fulfilment in our lives, in things apart from God, apart from the things that God has given us. So let's just look at, think about it a little more closely. You know, firstly, sexual immorality is a broad category, but, you know, basically it's about looking for pleasure outside of the commitment of marriage. Marriage is what God has given us for these things, and it's good. So why do we so easily throw that away for some kind of cheap imitation? Of that, a sh- mere shadow of the blessing that God has given us in marriage. Why, why do we treat it so lightly? Why do we think we know better than God what is good for us? When we do that, we're putting these things on an idol, as a, on a pedestal above God and what He has done for us. We're treating them as the idol r- rather than worshipping and submitting to God. But also, Things like greed, chasing after more and more things. When we think about it, we know that God knows what we need. We know that he gives us what we need. Why are we not content with that? Why do we not trust him to give us what we need? When we put all our intention and energy into chasing after these things, we're, again, we're elevating those things above God. We're turning them into an idol rather than worshipping and submitting to God. But then he also talks about foolish talk and coarse joking. Well, what's the problem with that? Is, is that might seem a bit of a stretch. But what is he actually talking about here? Well, there's all sorts of things. You know, the words he uses here covers things like, you know, rude jokes, sexual innuendo. These kind of things, they might seem to be relatively harmless, but really what they're doing is they're in, they help to encourage this idea of sexual immorality. They, they cheapen it and, and lessen it. They trivialise this thing that is, should be pure and holy. They're treating this precious thing, uh, is like something just to make a joke about. Um, so it's undermining what God has given us. But also this, this, this talk, foolish talk and coarse joking can cover things like you know, facetiousness, insincere joking, 
but also a kind of the, the words he uses talks about a kind of sharp and witty banter. But he, the words literally means good turning, which I think indicates this kind of banter that's kind of centred on a kind of a one-upmanship where I'm trying to impress you with the things that I say with my witty turn of phrase. It's all about building myself up rather than and, and, and being silly rather than any kind of sincere talking. And, and we can get caught up in those kind of, of, of conversations with one another when we're trying to impress each other and look good in front of each other. Of course... With all this, I don't think he's saying that we can't have fun, that we don't have, shouldn't have a sense of humour. That's not what he's saying at all. We don't have to be serious all the time. But I think the important thing for us to think about was, well, what exactly are we making fun of? What are we treating lightly? Because there are some things in life that we, we can treat lightly and make jokes about. But there are other things that really we shouldn't be joking about. And so we need to think seriously about, well, are we treating light something that should be treated as holy um, and valuable or are we just um, mocking mocking these things and undermining these things? Are we trivialising something or trivialising someone, another person, that God treats as precious? Is this the kind of thing we're known for? Are we, are we known as the fool, the joker in the room that no one takes seriously? Because if we are that kind of person, are we, are we really going to be the kind of person that other people can trust, that other people are going to feel comfortable with? Are we going to be the sort of person that other people are going to want to come to for help or guidance? You know, is, is the joker really the sort of person that take seriously this call for us to be like God, to love like God. I think Paul Paul said it well in the previous chapter where he said, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Our speech needs to always be considerate of others, considering their needs, what's helpful to them. That's what it means to live a life of love, a life that understands how richly we've been blessed and wants to bless others with everything that we have, including our words. Um, It's about using what we have to bless others rather than um, puff ourselves up. God's given us this tongue to use, so why do we so often waste our words with nonsense and things that harm and undermine rather than words that bless? So all of these things that we're talking about here, they're ungodly because they ignore God. And when we, we, we do these things, when we fail to take God seriously, when we fail to take our responsibilities and his gifts to us seriously... And when we do this, we're essentially placing ourselves at the centre of things, as idolaters, rather than as God's holy children. And I think that's why Paul's contrast to this, his antidote to all this, is thanksgiving. We need to put all away, put away all these things and instead be thankful, have this attitude of thankfulness and gratitude for everything that God has done for us, everything that he has given to us and truly value them 
Um, not treat them flippantly or cheaply or as something to just make light of in a joke, but to truly value them because we recognise where they come from. They come from God and we recognise how much they have cost. Jesus' own life. So as Christians, we need to be seen and known as a people who are pure, who are God's holy people. That's a responsibility that we need to take seriously. So continuing on, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it's said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So here we see Paul's continuing to paint our life as a choice of these two opposites. Here, the difference between light and darkness. And he uses these images to, to make some important points that distinguish these two ways of life and the choice that he, we face. The light he associates with things like goodness, truth, revelation, knowledge even, fruitfulness and obedience, all good things. But on the other hand, the darkness he associates with things like deception, emptiness, fruitlessness, shame and disobedience. One side, the light, I think we could be characterised by what we might call awareness or mindfulness, knowledge, understanding. These kind of things result in fruit, it results in building up, it results in good things. But the other side, the darkness, is characterised by decadence, which leads to destruction, entropy and ultimately evil. One, to put it simply, requires effort, one requires no effort. Unless we put our minds to it, unless we put our actions to it, unless we put our lives to it, we can so easily get caught up in this path of darkness, following the the path of least resistance, as it were. It's easy to just get caught along in that path. But to avoid that, we need to make conscious choices to avoid that. We need to be mindful, we need to be aware, we need to take seriously the choices that we make to avoid that and to instead follow the path that God has given us. But Paul reminds us that despite, although there's this difference here between the light and darkness, we were once in the darkness. We were once deceived. We were once empty and shameful. We were once impure in all of these ways that Paul has been talking about. Um, We were once like that. He knows where we've all come from. He is in the same boat. But he says the important thing is 
All of that has changed. We have been changed. Changed by what Jesus has done for us. It keeps coming back to that. We're now light. We're now children of the light. So don't go back to darkness. Don't go back that way. We've been changed. Don't go back. Don't have anything to do with that darkness. It's like what he was just saying before about idolatry. It's inconceivable that we would have anything to do with that again. Just don't go down that path. It's fruitless anyway. There's nothing good lies in that direction. Nothing good comes from the darkness. Instead, he says, do what light always does to darkness. Exposes it. It shines a light. Expose the deeds of darkness. Show them for what they are by our own good example as we follow God's way. But we can only do that if we continue to live in the light, if we're living in the light as God's holy people. So let's wake up. Let's live in the light. Let's let God's light shine on us and let's shine that light to this dark world around us. So... What does all this mean for how we should live? Paul continues in verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says many things here about how we should live, both the attitude that we should have, but also practical things that we can do that will help to reinforce this godly attitude and living this life of love. Firstly, he says, we need to live carefully, thoughtfully, wisely. We need to take things seriously. We need to be thoughtful and considered in how we approach things, in what we do, making deliberate choices again, rather than just allowing ourselves to be carried away. This means... This is going to mean making the most of every opportunity that we have because we live in evil times, we live in difficult times. We can't afford to waste any opportunities that we have to love other people. We can't afford to waste opportunities to, to, um, to love them by just ignoring the opportunities, by ignoring people or even being unprepared when those opportunities present themselves. So we need to take these responsibilities seriously. I keep saying that. But we need to, we need to take them seriously and not just float through life expecting, um, things just to happen. We need to take advantage of every opportunity that we have, being, uh, keeping our eyes open for them, being ready for them and being able to, to, to take advantage of the opportunities when they arise. So how can we maintain this kind of a life? How can we make sure that we'll always be able to take advantage of every opportunity? Well, firstly, Paul says we need to understand God's will. 
We need to understand what God wants of us. We need to understand how God wants us to treat um, every opportunity that presents itself. But of course, we won't understand God's will just by accident. It will only happen if we approach God's word seriously. We study God's word, want to understand God's word with a desire to learn from it and be changed by it. We need to understand and know God's will. Also, he says we shouldn't get drunk. That's another important um, thing we have to do to take advantage of every opportunity. Because you know, surely getting drunk all the time is the opposite to taking life seriously. It couldn't, we couldn't, it couldn't be less serious. Because you know, if we get drunk, we're not going to be thoughtful, we're not going to be considerate, we're not going to be loving or wise, we're not going to be ready for any opportunity. Instead, what are we going to be doing? We're going to be pursuing all of those things that Paul was warning about earlier. Sexual immorality, greed, coarse joking, all of those sorts of things. We're going to be pursuing the wrong things and we're not going to be ready for the right things. We're not going to be aware and ready to take, um, make the most of opportunities that we have if we're getting drunk. But in contrast to that, Paul says... We need to be filled with the Spirit. And notice what that looks like. He says, speaking to one another with singing and songs. Isn't, isn't that in, an interesting um, combination there? Be filled with the Spirit by singing to one another, speaking to one another in song. A Spirit-filled church is a singing church. But I don't think that he's, talk, he's talking about that in a happy, clappy, sort of give me a buzz um, with the singing kind of way. I think what Paul wants us to focus on is what we're saying to each other in these songs. He says, speak to one another in these songs. Paul also describes a similar thing in Colossians chapter 3 where he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Singing with one another, singing to one another is all about here, Paul says, it's all about having the message of Christ dwell in us richly. Not just about knowing the message, it's about having it dwell in us richly. Um, And singing he suggests, is a big part of that. And and when we think about this idea of speaking to one another in song, I think it's a a great thing for us to think about and take seriously because, you know, some of us have the opportunity and the privilege to speak to you all as I'm doing now. But Paul says when we sing to one another, as we've been doing this morning and we'll have opportunity again after I've finished here, we'll have that opportunity to sing to one another, to speak to one another through those words. We all, and when we do that, we all have the opportunity to speak God's word to one another, whether we're young or old, whether, whether we're men or women, whether we're educated or uneducated, whether we're musical or not, we all have that opportunity to speak to one another in song. 
And I think when we sing to one another, we, we can engage with one another in a unique way. Because I think singing has this, and music has this special way of being able to involve all of our being. It involves our heart, it involves our mind and our spirits as we sing. And so when I combine all of, all of those aspects of me to all of you singing at the same time, it produces something special um, that is pleasing to God and Paul says it helps us to keep living this life in the spirit. You know, if I'm honest, by next week you'll probably, probably have forgotten most of what I said here this morning. But you'll remember the words and the tunes of the songs that we always sing. Um, you know, if you're working in the garden or driving on the road, um, or if we're facing times of grief or trial, we probably won't remember a sermon someone preached to us at some time. But we might hum a song to ourselves. We might think about the words of our favourite hymn because those things will be stuck in our hearts. That's the magic of singing. It'll be written on our... The, the, message, the, the, the message of Christ will be written on our hearts. That's the power that we each have as we sing with one another together um, as we are this morning. And it has nothing to do with how strong our voice is. It has nothing to do with whether we can hit the high notes or how musical we are. It's all about the words that we're singing to one another and the hearts and the spirit that we bring to one another, a heart which is most of all a spirit of thankfulness to God, a thankfulness for everything that he has done for us, thankfulness for each other that God has put us together with in this church family. That's all animated and brought to life as we sing with one another. That's the tremendous blessing that we have to be able to sing with one another. Let's not waste that opportunity, but take advantage whenever we can. All of these things, Paul says, are ways that can help us to live this life of love, um, shunning the darkness, embracing the light, putting off the old self, putting on the new self. Um, these are all ways that can help us to do this. A life where we take seriously these things that we owe to God and the things that we owe each other. So to, to sum up the lesson today, I was thinking recently about a line that kept coming up at Doug Willis's funeral a couple of weeks ago. Um, from 1 Thessalonians 4.13, the line, we don't grieve as those who have no hope, which is a powerful word, I think, for us to remember because it shows how, because of Christ, it changes the way we look, it changes our attitude, it changes our outlook on life, it changes how we live. Because of Christ... We have hope, so we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And so if I may, we could maybe have a similar phrase. We don't wander as those who have no purpose. In the same way, because of Christ, because of everything that has been done for us in Christ, 
It changes our outlook, it changes the way we live. Whether it be in grief, whether it be in joy, through every time of our life, we have, because of what we have in Christ, we have a purpose. It's been made clear. Um, The way forward is clear. Um, as Paul said, we're living in light, not in darkness. We know what we're called to. We know, we know the path that God has set for us. So let's live like it. Let's take it seriously. In all of these blessings that we have in Christ, we've been given this responsibility. We've been given this purpose. So let's not wander through life, um, just taking as it comes, bumbling from one opportunity to the next. Let's live purposefully, let's live carefully, let's live wisely and let's live lovingly this life that God has called us to. We don't wander as those who have no purpose because in Christ we all have uh, a purpose for us. So let's live that life uh, together.